Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. For today's episode, it is, of course, brought to you by our friends at BuiltBar.com. You can use the code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first purchase. And Frank, I figured this has become a weekly update, I feel like. And I don't really ever feel like it is a huge update. It certainly hasn't been over the last couple of weeks, but... We're going to talk about free agency a little bit today, but over the course of the last hour, we've seen Woj and Shams fire up the Twitter machine, fire out a few tweets, and it is in relation to the practice facilities being reopened, I guess, for players to, to go in and get some individual workouts in, and May 8 is still the date. And again, this is uh, contingent on the rules within the state, the rules and regulations within each state. So I believe that this would mean that the the Bucks players aren't going to be in the practice facility on May 8th. We'll see what happens in Wisconsin, but certainly in some states, you're going to start to see players come in for individual workouts. Apparently, each team is going to be able to have six assistant coaches or player development personnel to provide supervision for these workouts. I still believe there's a maximum of four people in allowed at a time. But the other big piece of news that I don't really know whether, whether this would really upset Bud that much, but no head coaches allowed to observe the player workouts. That's, that's the latest. That's the latest state of the nation. Um, I don't know if anybody's brought this up anywhere. I mean, uh, you know, I think the Wisconsin safer home order, which again, I, I, don't, I don't think Bucks are going to be doing anything until there's clarity on this and there's a lot of legal wrangling that's been going on around this, obviously with state Supreme Court and everything. Um, I was looking at, I think the, the, I think the original safer home order, um, you know, had some provisions like basically, you know, members of the same family could, you know, still hang out and do stuff. Right. So kind of, I I was sort of thinking about this. I don't think this is really going to come into, come into play in any way, but, um, so Thanasis and Giannis have been living together, obviously. Right. Um, they're part of family. They're like the same household. Um, it's not like if they were practicing against each other, um, it would really change anything because they've already been living with each other. And, you know, if one, yeah. if one had coronavirus, the other would probably catch it just because they're living under the same roof. I don't know if, I don't know if the Lopez brothers are doing the same. I don't know if you've ever heard anything. I feel like they probably wouldn't just because they have to keep up their whole like shtick of, you know, sort of not liking each other, but <laughs> I wouldn't be, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were living together. Right. Cause they're not yeah. married. I don't think, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know if they have girlfriends that, you know, whatever they're, they're, they choose them over each other or something, but, um, we've heard their cat, what their cats don't get along. So I don't know if that, if that's a, that's a deal breaker, but, um, it is kind of like a funny, interesting quirk. It's like, you know, if two brothers who live together, um, are on the same team, could they show up together at, at, at a workout facility? Like, I mean, again, like if they're working out against each other, it really doesn't change, um, 
it really isn't like incremental risk because they're already at home. They might already have been doing stuff together anyway. I, I don't know. I'm spitballing here, throwing this out there. Somebody go figure out if, if there's a, a, a loophole we can use, given that the Bucks have two sets of brothers on their team. But um, yeah, who knows? I mean, again, I live in Texas. Obviously, everyone in Wisconsin, there's um, Texas, quote unquote, reopened on Friday, um, you know, with, with kind of limitations on opening of restaurants, things like that. Uh, I, I haven't really changed anything I'm doing, so I don't, I don't know how much it's really impacting things. We'll see what happens with Wisconsin. Um, I'm glad Australia is doing better, Kane. Seems like things are going pretty, pretty well, relatively speaking, down under. Um, but uh, I also don't think, uh, you know, anybody's, I don't think the Bucks are going to show up uh, in, in, in Melbourne uh, and, and start working out there, although maybe that would be a safer place to be than, uh, than any place in the United States. So, yeah, we'll just keep watching it. And, um, you know, I think this, is, this, this was always going to be one of the challenges. And, again, it's the old Mark Lazary comment of, you know, a lot of this will be decided for them. And this is one of those examples. Okay, the NBA wants to start allowing people in the gym. Well, some places that decision is going to be made for them that they can't. And obviously the Bucks and uh, a number of other, I think a lot of the high profile teams, I was looking at the list, um, are in places that are not, you know, reopening. It's obviously the LA teams, uh, they're not in a position where they're going to be able to start practicing. I think the Celtics are in that same boat. Seems like most of the top teams in both conferences are are in situations where they're not really going to be able to start doing anything, even if the NBA is officially saying they you know teams can in if they're in uh, localities where it's possible. So stay tuned as the uh, you know as the pandemic turns is again not really what we want to be reporting on, but that's obviously uh, what we have to be paying attention to as we per- hope and pray for for a return of NBA basketball this year. Well, uh, I'm also glad that you're here because not only are you a box expert? You're our cap expert, but you're also our Texas correspondent. And uh, we, I saw a tweet from Tim McMahon who said that uh, Mark Cuban had these comments to say on, a, on another podcast. And he, he tweeted out this quote from Mark Cuban who says that the, the Mavericks have no intention of opening up their practice facility anytime soon because there's still a concern over the testing. So this is the quote from Mark Cuban. He says, the problem obviously, is that because we can't test people, then we can't assure anybody's safety, whether they are basketball players or anybody else. Even though we can try and take all, all different kinds of precautions, it's just not worth it, particularly when our guys are staying in shape and they're going outside and shooting on outdoor hoops and working out in various ways. So I just don't think the risk is worth the reward. And this is interesting because I certainly have seen, in response to, to Woj's tweet, about no head coaches being involved and people are like, well, this is crazy. Why can't coaches be involved? Remember, this is individual workouts for guys just to get some shots up, to be able to train, to be able to work out. A lot of these guys are in a position where they're doing that anyway. This isn't the team getting together and practicing and working out on on-court stuff, running through sets, strategizing. That, that's not happening. The NBA has already said before the season starts, there's going to be a mini training camp, whether that's two weeks, whether that's three weeks where the teams are going to be together with their coaches, with their teams, and then they're going to be able to go through that stuff. This is simply just getting guys into the practice facility and getting some shots up. So that's an interesting comment from Mark Cuban, and it just highlights the fact that, as you sort of pointed to, this is going to have to be not only dictated to by the governments, but the teams are going to have to come together and agree on all this as well, including the players, and they're going to have to feel safe and not going to feel like they're putting themselves or their family or anyone else in, in jeopardy or, or in danger by 
by coming back and returning to basketball. So it's just it's an interesting comment from Mark Cuban. We know he's all over this kind of stuff, and, and we've heard a lot from him during the time. But when you talk about states that are opening up, obviously the Dallas Mavericks could be one of those teams that could open up, and it looks like, from what Mark Cuban says, they're not going to. So it's something to watch. It's going to be interesting to see moving forward. Let me tell you about the great folks over at Built Bar. Today's episode of Lockdown Bucks is brought to you by Built Bar. It's an amazing protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. They have 16 incredible flavors, eight chocolate with nut, eight chocolate without nut. They're soft and easy to chew, but most importantly, they're great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and I got to tell you, at this time when we're in isolation and I'm sitting at home, I'm trying to work out, I'm trying to stay healthy, I'm trying to also do this podcast, right, do all the things I want to do. Built Bar is the perfect snack for in between when I'm working, when I'm outside, when I'm doing all the things I need to do to stay healthy during isolation. I can't recommend it high enough. And we've got a special offer for you. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use the promo code locked on. For $10 off at builtbar.com. What I wanted to talk about today on the podcast with you was free agency because A, we don't really know what's going to happen now. We know from a Bucks point of view, this summer was supposed to be a pretty big one when you talk about Giannis and the Super Max. Now, obviously, he's not a free agent, but that was the reason everyone was looking forward to the off-season this, this summer and what was going to happen here in a few months' time. That's obviously going to be delayed. And the Bucks are a team that actually have locked in, for next season anyway, pretty much all their key players are locked in uh, under, in, in some cases, big dollar amounts. But free agency this year, I think, is going to be one of the, the more interesting ones we've ever seen because there's so much uncertainty regarding financials, the status of the league, how much, how much money teams are going to have to pay, what the cap's going to be. I, I, it's, it's hard to know whether the Bucks are in a good position or a bad position when you look at the sheer dollar amount that they have got locked into the, to these guys. Yeah, I mean, it's really different from a year ago uh, when they went into the summer, and especially when you, you dial back to um, like trade deadline and, and before Bledsoe signs his extension, um, you know, they had basically the entire everyone but Giannis was, was essentially heading for free agency. And so yeah. it's kind of interesting now to look back on it, how little discussion there was around that. Um, and of course the irony is that the only guy they didn't bring back was the guy that they had restricted free agent rights on, which was Malcolm Brogdon basically. Right. Um, you know, the fact that you end up obviously keeping Chris, you keep Brooke, you get Bledsoe before the season ends um, on that extension. Uh, and then obviously you end up letting Malcolm go via this, the sign and trade um, to, to Indiana. Um, it, it was obviously a, a huge, huge summer with a lot of risk. Um, but I don't know, in hindsight, you know, it, it felt like, especially after the blood signing, it felt like we kind of knew, I mean, I think we all had a very good feeling that, that Chris and Brooke would be back. Um, a lot less, less confidence that, that certainly Brogdon and George Hill would be back. It, it felt like, you know, Hill, because he was going to have to be waived, um, given his big last year on his contract. Um, it felt like, you know, we were probably losing George Hill and, and maybe Malcolm Brogdon, you know, that was like the big question, but this summer, very different. Um, you know, you've got Giannis, Bledsoe, Middleton, that group together is uh, due to be paid about 77 million next season. Um, and, you know, you add on top of that, George Hill, 
Dante DiVincenzo, DJ Wilson, Brooke Lopez, and Thanasis. Um, you know, that's eight guys. You add in the 2020 first round pick, that uh, player will be due. Let's assume that they keep that pick. Uh, that player will be due close to $3 million when you account for the 120% rookie scale figure for the 19th pick I'm using. Um, and you throw on those uh, old trusty Larry Sanders and his $1.9 <laughs> dead salary. Uh, just, two more, just two more years left of that, by the, by the way, guys. Um, and John Lohr, who, yeah, John Lohr, who, of course, is you know, the uh, last vestiges of the Tony Snell contract, essentially, um, you know, which, again, we don't have to relitigate that, but the gift that keeps on giving there. Uh, you know, you add all that up together. I'm not even including Robin Lopez, Wes Matthews, who have player options, or Urson, who has that non-guaranteed seven million. Um, even if I ignore all those guys, uh, you're at about 117 million bucks for those nine guys plus two dead dead contracts. Um, so, you know, again, you look at what you have left. You know, essentially, you're either having to resign or or fill fill the the, the spots left by Pat Connaughton, Sterling Brown, Cal Corver. So basically you got those three wing guys. If Wes Matthews opts out, he's got a $2.7 million player option, which obviously, you know, that's a bargain relative to the role that, that he's played on this team. Um, you know, could he opt out and say, Hey guys, give me some more years, give me some more money, do something. Um, I can't say I would blame him for wanting that. Right. I mean, he's certainly been worth a lot more than the 2.7 million that, that he got last year. Um, Robin Lopez, I think, at five million, I feel like he probably opts in. I, you know, again, not to say he's uh, really overpaid or something, but I don't know that he's getting anything better by hitting free agency. But, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what you're looking at. So there's a number of wing players that are going to be coming do uh, coming free as free agents, um, and then you know Marvin Williams obviously joined late in the season. Uh, obviously, he's an expiring contract, and Urson uh, also. I mean, again, at seven million dollars. You know, you talk about the math here, you know, okay, so what's the significance of $117 million owed to those nine guys? Well, you know, previously we thought the tax was going to be in the, let's say, $139 million, maybe up to $141 million range, maybe not that quite that high given everything with China that happened last fall. Um, but if you're in the $139 to $141 million range, you know, there's maybe some scenarios there where you could have had the full non-taxpayer mid-level of around $9 million, $9, $10 million to use to sign an outside free agent or potentially um, to pay one of your, your own kind of non-bird free agents more money, which is less exciting, but you know, might, might still have been something the Bucks looked at or split that among multiple guys. Um, you know, instead you're looking at a scenario. We don't, we don't know where the tax is going to be, right? We don't know where the salary cap is going to be. Um, you know, again, way back when in the innocent days before the pandemic, we thought it might be around 116 million uh, this season or this coming season up from, uh, 109 million this year. Um, but again, this is going to be the kind of thing that's going to be more negotiated number because uh, the way the cap is normally set is basically they know that obviously the national TV deals, um, they basically take that and they add everything else that the league made and, and gross it up by 4.5%. And that's basically the salary cap. Um, obviously this season, <laughs> you know, all the math is out the window for what this season's revenues are going to look like. We don't know exactly how bad that's going to be, but you know you're going to fall short, um, you know, by by the billions most likely here, right? Depending on what happens with the remainder of the season and some of these, you know, what what happens with these national the national TV deal, the local TV deals that obviously got broken up. Um, I don't know exactly how all that's going to work out, but 
you know, the league makes about, I think, around $8 billion a year in, in basketball-related income. They're going to they're gonna lose a, a big chunk of that. And You know, the cap is set, it's supposed to be set based on what the expectation of, of what it's going to be moving forward. Um, and I think when this all has started, we thought, oh, well, you know, even if the cap, you know, the revenues this year take a big hit, you know, hey, next year we'll come back and um, hopefully it'll be back to normal, right? That was the hope. Well, <laughs> now we're talking about let's delay the season start till December so we have a better chance of getting fans back in, in the stands. And I think a lot of us are wondering, okay, I mean, are fans really going to come back? Are our ticket prices going to come back before 2021 even? You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of concerns about that. So I think there's a very good chance that 2021 revenues are going to be depressed as well pretty significantly. Uh, and, and obviously that's a big deal. You know, that, that could certainly impact um, even if it's sort of a negotiated cap between the players and owners. And I think the only other thing I would, I would note, note on that, and then you know, maybe turn it back to you and, and kind of maybe let you pick out sort of how you want to approach this because we can look at these various players and try to figure out how they might fit into this but um kind of a thing to understand about this so you know let's just say the cap uh the 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 formula that was used to set the cap let's just say you know uh all things being equal it would drop by 15 million dollars or something like that or 10 million say 10 million dollars because right now it was 109 let's say it would normally drop to 100 rather than going to 116 if you just use the normal math to me, you know, a lot of people might say, oh, well, the owners will probably be okay with that because they want to pay less money to the players, right? Well, keep in mind with all this, I mean, the CBA says the players get between 49 and 51%, depending on various factors. But, you know, the, the split between owners and players is more or less 50-50. It's more or less locked in. Um, the cap is really just the way that that's all gets distributed out and the way that it's kind of broken up between teams and how much money they have to spend. and you know, the taxes are also set as sort of a percentage of, of that formulaically. Um, you know, the ultimate amount of money that the players and the owners are going to get at the end of the day, we kind of know what that is. I would be very, very surprised if it was anything but a 50-50 split, which tells you that whatever pain is going to be inflicted by this pandemic, it's going to be felt by both players and owners, and it's going to be shared pretty evenly, I would say. that, that would, I would be very surprised if it wasn't. Um, the challenge is okay, well, what does that do to all the math and the way that we kind of competitively balance this throughout the league through the cap and the tax? And here's the thing. I mean, to just dramatically sink the cap and put, you know, half the league into the luxury tax, okay, maybe owners would like depressing artificial, well, I don't know if artificial is the right word, but depressing in the short term, you know, player, like new player salaries and the numbers, you know, the, the values of those contracts because it sets precedence and, you know, a couple of years from now, guys that sign four-year deals, you know, rookies that sign huge rookie max extension, those contracts are going to be really hurt by the fact that they happen to start in, you know, a year where, where everything obviously went, went, took a dramatic downturn. Um, but again, like, is that really in the best interest of a league? I mean, when we saw the huge spike a few years ago, the owners wanted to smooth things, even though the players were still going to get 50%. It was just, again, it would be basically everybody would get you know, all the players essentially get like a kickback at the end of the year rather than the players that happen to be free agents would get much bigger contracts that summer, right? For whatever reason, the players union wanted the latter and not the former. And so he had the madness of, you know, the summer of 2016 and Miles Plumley and, you know, the summer of overrated big men and all that good, good stuff. Um, 
So again, like, you know, it's really more of, we're really talking more about the McCann with a cap and all that. We're really talking more about what it means between teams and between players, because the pool is pretty much going to be set between those two groups. So again, does the league actually want, you know, half the league in the luxury tax and afraid to spend and, you know, competitive balance being really impacted by that? I don't think the owners really desire that. I think both sides have a strong incentive to see, you know, even an artificially set cap at, you know, let's say a 150 million or 109 million, keep it flat to what it was this year, something like that, just to maintain some sense of normalcy. And again, you know, how you then get to that 50-50 distribution, you may need to take, um, and this gets a little more to the cap BS that people probably aren't interested in, but you know, normally there's an escrow account. So when you get a check as a player, 10% is kept back throughout the season put in an escrow account and at the end of the year they figure out all right you know are the players entitled to get all of it back or do the owners need to keep it because revenues were lower than usual obviously right now you're in a situation where revenues may be you know much lower so that the players are going to get too much money and they're going to have to figure out you know basically the mechanics of getting more money back so again you could put more money in escrow and then that gives you more of that kind of slush fund at the end of the year to figure out, all right, how do we make sure everybody gets the amount they're supposed to get? So there's a lot of like mechanics that you can kind of work out on the back end. But bottom line, I, and, and I, I think I've gotten the sense when I've you know heard people talking about this, I don't think the league views you know a massive massive swings in the in the salary cap is really desirable for either side. And so I would be surprised if that happens. But either way, you know, are we going to see that really high luxury tax number that we thought we would? I don't think so, right? So does that mean a luxury tax number of 130 million instead of 139 million? Does it mean, you know, 135 million? Um, you know, again, we, we don't really, really know the answer to that. This year it was 132.6 million. Um, and so maybe we just assume it's going to be around that ballpark for now until we know a little bit more. Um, but, you know, again, you kind of do the math. You say, all right, 117 million for those nine guys. If you assume Wes Matthews and Robin Lopez opt in, then you're at about 125 million for 11 guys. And you have to replace essentially, you know, Sterling, Pat, Kyle, and Marvin in those, those spots on the roster with, you know, again, do the math. All right, if you've got 125 million, you've only got 7 million under the tax, you know, is ownership, they weren't willing to pay the tax last year. And now with, you know, a pandemic that, you know, crushes every team's bottom line, are they going to be willing to go into the tax this year? You know, even if it means sacrificing competitiveness and a chance at a championship, I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. Is anybody willing to bet on that? I, I certainly would be concerned about betting on that. So, um, so again, it leaves them very little flexibility to, you know, pay all those guys maybe what the market rate for them would be. And again, you know, especially for a guy like Pat Connaughton, I think Pat, you listen to him, he's been everywhere doing interviews all over the place. Uh, I think Kane, you're the only person who hasn't interviewed Pat Connaughton yet, um, which is weird because you've interviewed basically everybody else. Shout out to you and, and Marcus uh, of late. But, um, but it's interesting because I mean, a guy like Pat, he's never had a big payday. Um, you know, if a team offers him $5 million over two years, do the Bucks offer him that? Given that gives them very little flexibility to really sign you know, anybody else outside of minimums? I, I don't know, right? But these are all kind of like really difficult questions that, you know, a few months ago we would have thought they would have had a lot more flexibility to deal with. So anyway, let me pause there. I just blathered for a really long time about boring cap stuff and maybe a little bit of stuff that's actually interesting to people. So Kane, let me turn it to you. What, how do you want to attack this? You want to go kind of player by player or, or so like kind of any other kind of thoughts on sort of the holistic view of this? 
Well, let me just say first about Pat Connaughton because I, I was laughing about this myself yesterday. I was thinking about this. This guy has done an all-time media tour when most players are going underground. I feel like the Bucks are just shoving him out to anyone that wants to talk to anyone. I've been in contact with the Bucks for the last few weeks trying to get a player and I've been waiting for the email back saying, yeah, you can, you can speak to Pat. But they had a uh, teleconference or Zoom conference, whatever you want to call it, with Pat and Robin Lopez yesterday morning. It was at 4 a.m. my time. And I must admit, I thought about getting up for it and then I thought, well, I'm pretty sure Pat has answered every single question about what he thinks about the hiatus what he's doing during his free time, what he's plans to do outside of basketball that I decided to, to sleep through that one. So that's probably me being poor at my job, but you're right. He's certainly been the guy that, the, that has been, has been getting out there. Let's just say that maybe he's got a, maybe he's got a future career in media when it's, when it's all done for him. But I thought we could start this by looking at the guys that have either a non-guaranteed contract or an option. And you sort of touched on them. So I think I know you sober straight away. I mean, this is a non-guaranteed $7 million deal for next season. We thought this anyway. So I don't think really that the pandemic and and what's going to happen financially to the league has really changed this. This always looked like a number, really from the second he signed it at midnight a couple of years ago, that this was not going to be an option that the Bucks would pick up. I I think, and, and you can sort of give your thoughts if there's any type of feeling you have different to this, but given the situation the Bucks are in, the amount of money they have guaranteed and locked in. And I think Ersan Ulisova, that is, is going to be a deal that the Bucks will move away from. And it's interesting because the date for that, that the Bucks had to waive him was around draft time. I believe it was uh, the 27th of, of July. So the day after when the NBA draft was scheduled, June. obviously, uh, June, June, sorry. Yeah. Obvi- obviously that's going to change now, but it, it's, that's still going to be, uh, apply the same way. I mean, the Bucks aren't going to want to carry that $7 million in. But the other two guys with the player options, Robin Lopez for $5 million, Wesley for around two point six, are more interesting. And I'm curious to know what you think about this because even if uh, the, the cap or, or the luxury tax isn't exactly where it was projected earlier that it might dr- uh, drop as far down as what it would, the cap is still going to go down. This, I don't think this is the off-season. This has got to be one of the more uncertain off-seasons for free agency. I don't think those guys, you already touched on Robin Lopez. I mean, $5 million is a decent deal for him. There's no question. But even Wesley Matthews, this is a guy that's going to be 34 soon. He's been starting on this Bucks team that was on pace for 70 wins for much of the season. He's been a significant contributor, particularly defensively. But he has got an injury history. He's not getting any more athletic. His numbers were trending down over the last few seasons anyway. Maybe in, in a normal circumstance, he could get himself a, a, a final sort of two or three year deal and get a little bit more money. But I also don't think that there's going to be a huge market out there for Wesley Matthews. And it's unfortunate for him. But this $2.6 million, it might make sense for him to stay in Milwaukee in the system that he understands. He knows he's, he's going to play. Whether or not he's a starter next year or not, that's... A completely different question when we, when we get to Dante DiVincenzo and what he's been able to do this season. But I, I just think for these guys with player options, this is the type of year where they're going to say, okay, there's not a lot of money out there. The situation I'm in is really, really good. The team is definitely going to be good. We know Giannis is still going to be here next year at least. It, it would seem kind of crazy to move, walk away from that. Yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, having the best record in the league um, and being, a, a, again, 
uh, a situation that a lot of guys are, uh, I think by all accounts, you know, people are happy, really happy playing for this team and being with this group of guys. And I think, you know, you made the point with Wes. Um, I mean, he's got a pretty good deal here, right? I mean, maybe the contract isn't, isn't big, yeah. but in terms of role, um, in terms of, you know, the fact that he's still a starter, he's still a guy that the Bucks lean on to defend in on many nights, the, the best wing slash guard that the other team has. Um, you know, I think there's a, a benefit to both sides of, of trying to keep keep this going. Now, you know, the age is absolutely a factor as well. Like how, how long Wes can do this, I don't know. Um, you know, Dante DiVincenzo, I think at this point, you know, night to night is already a guy that you would say, um, you know, is the more kind of productive, impactful player. But um, depending on matchups, you know, we've seen it that, that obviously there's going to be um, players that you really want to have Wes out there starting against and just in many ways eating up minutes, you know, defending, right? I mean, we've seen him defend, um, you know, everybody from James Harden and, and Russell Westbrook uh, to, you know, LeBron, Kawhi, guys like that. And um, again, like especially those like stronger ISO heavy type guys, um, you know, Wes can hold his own again. I think in the second matchup with LeBron, you know, LeBron really started to use that strength and, and the size advantage against him. Um, so it goes, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, that's just the way it goes. I mean, you know, at some point you, you can you can tap, you know, Giannis on the shoulder, Chris Middleton on the shoulder and say, all right, guys, like we need a little more help uh, against against LeBron James. But, um, you know, for the money, I think you got to be very happy with what Wes has provided this year. Again, does he have limitations? Absolutely. Do you want him dribbling the ball? No. Um, but for what he is, uh, I think obviously, you know, it was, it was a good signing and the proof was obviously in the fact that, you know, you plugged him into the starting lineup, uh, in, in place of obviously a much, you know, more productive overall player in Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and you know, your team didn't miss a beat, obviously, you know, I think him having a low, a low volume guy who ate innings as a defender and spotted up and could shoot threes. I think that actually was really helpful for Chris Middleton, let him get more touches, more flow. Um, among the starters and, and obviously between Chris and Giannis in particular, they were able to gobble up those extra, you know, that extra usage that, that otherwise Malcolm would have gotten um, very, very well. So, um, so yeah, I think there's a, I, I, I would agree. I think there's a very good chance that, that West just opts in. Um, if I'm his agent, I'm asking the bucks, can you, can we opt out and just get another, um, you know, two year deal, basically another like one plus one or something like that. Yeah. Um, and if I'm the Bucks and I can get Wes at basically the same number with just another player option, I mean, you know, again, uh, I probably would be be willing to go down that route. You know, push comes to shove, just because, um, you know, as long as obviously you don't have any concerns about um, his injuries, and obviously, you know, he's been pretty much healthy this season, which has been very encouraging. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be uh, at, at this point again, like all these guys. You know, you talk about George Hill, you talk about Wes. Um, you know, a number of these guys. You know, Kyle, obviously. I mean, these guys are obviously, you know, they're not getting better, um, but, you know, do they have enough that they can be role players for you? That's obviously the question that, that the Bucks need to figure out. And obviously, you know, West, you know, they're all role players, even if Wes is, is still a starter. So, um, so yeah, I, I think there's a very good chance. I, I would expect Wes is probably back. You know, again, he's a Wisconsin native. Um, I'm sure he would love to, to be here. There's every reason for him to want to be here. Um, and he's made a lot of money too, right? Um, you know, he's different from a Pat Connaughton who, has not had that big payday, you know, both him and George Hill have had big paydays. Um, so again, when you think about, you know, what are they willing to do? Obviously George Hill, you, they still paid him a fair bit um, last off season, but um, with, with Wes, hopefully he's a guy that they can retain for, you know, either ideally this player option uh, and that he just opts in. Um, but, you know, again, if it's another small deal to keep him 
uh, for another year. Um, you know, I'd say that's probably probably worth going with, even if eventually, obviously, he's going to start to decline a bit more, obviously. Yeah, it's interesting to think back with Wesley Matthews to a season ago when he was in the buyout market. And uh, Malcolm Brogdon at the time, remember, was down. He was injured. He was out. The Bucks were starting Sterling Brown in the lead-up to the playoff. Wesley Matthews decided to go to Indiana. And at the time, it made some sense if you, if you sat back and thought, well, okay, he's looking for one last deal. That obviously never materialized, and then he ended up in Milwaukee anyway. And I, I have, I've wondered. I mean, remember, Sterling Brown didn't play great during those playoffs, and maybe you know, Wesley Matthews was a guy. Uh, the Bucks, I'm sure, looked at acquiring him in the buyout market, but he might have been a handy player through those playoffs as well when no one else could hit a shot. Maybe Wesley Matthews could. But the way that's panned out for him, he never got that uh, payday, that last contract, and it's trending towards looking like maybe he won't. But as you said, he obviously went to college here, a local guy, and uh, it's a pretty good situation for him. But we've only really hit the tip of the iceberg when we're looking at the free agency situation for Milwaukee. We're going to come back to this tomorrow, Frank. We've got plenty of other guys that we're going to run through. Pat Connaughton, Kyle Korver, Marvin Williams. We're going to throw up a scenario at that four spot with Williams, Ursan, and also DJ Wilson, who we think the Bucks might look to keep. They might be forced into a choice between two. And of course, we've got lots of Giannis talk. No, he's not a free agent this year. But everything the Bucks do right now has to have Giannis in mind and their long-term plans in terms of keeping him. So plenty of Giannis talk tomorrow. Before we go, I have to let you guys know about our friends over at Rejecting the Screen, Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. Their podcast today is with Vin Baker, Bucks former player, now assistant coach. So after you listen to this, make sure you go and check that out. But don't forget to jump back on board with us tomorrow as we continue to go through the Bucks free agency and the options they have ahead of them and also what the league has in store for it whenever this offseason officially begins. But for Frank, for myself, Kane Pittman, we will leave it there. We'll speak to you guys tomorrow.